Good morning. We're going to read from uh, Genesis chapter 15. It's going to be the text I'm reflecting on a little bit today. Uh, it says, After these things the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. For not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue a childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abraham said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, offspring and a member of my household will be my heir. And the, behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars, if you are able to number them. And then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and it counted to him as righteousness. So last week uh, we began sort of this, we began a new series called Learning to Let Go, um, and Anthony wanted to subtitle it, and, and Bear Your Cross. <laughs> and uh, learning to let go is, in a way, um, bearing your cross. It's, it's giving up for the sake of something greater, and this is really, really hard for most of us, I would say. And so we're going to explore this theme through different characters in Scripture. And this morning we come onto the story of Abram or Abraham. And, and what we see here in this story is sort of a tension between our dreams and God's will. Or that is um, our dreams and God's dreams. Okay? And here's the thing. Here's how this works. Um, for example, you know, we all probably on some level can get on board with God's dream. Right? God's will. Like, who doesn't want a new heavens and new earth? Who doesn't want resurrection and new life? Who doesn't want these things? Like, sign me up. Right? I don't know anyone who's not on board with God's dream. And Abraham was on board with God's dream. Like, this is why it was counted to him as righteousness. Because, I mean, just imagine for a second. He's, he's in a, a, a country that he grew up in, in a governing system that he was familiar with. He had a network of community and friends and family. And in the midst of this, God says, hey, Abraham, pack up your stuff and go. And he does. And this might seem simple. It might seem like not a big deal to us. And, and, and I think it seems like, not a big deal because of how easy it is, it is for us to move around now, pack up and move around. Like, we can fly to and from to see family, even if they're other, in other countries, within 24 hours. Like, we, we have airplanes and we have automobiles. We can, we're pretty mobile. We can see a lot, experience a lot, and still stay connected to some level to the community that we came from. But this is not the same for Abraham. For him to leave meant a longer journey... It was not something that he'd be able to easily return back to. It was to leave the familiarity of his culture and enter into this like new culture with new people and new ways of being. And in the midst of this, God is saying, I have a dream. I have a will for you. And that is that you're going to be the father of a great nation. And through your offspring, through your heirs, all nations will be blessed. And Abraham, Abraham is on board with this. And many of us are on board with God's ultimate will too, right? But where we start to experience tension is it's one thing to be on board with God's dream, with his will, and it's a wholly different thing to be on board with how we get there. The journey it takes from where we're at now 
to where God is going. We all like point B, but we don't necessarily like the journey from point A to point B. And so this is what Abraham was struggling with. It was, it was he, he was all on board, of course. I mean, it sounds sort of egotistical. He was all on board with becoming the father of a great nation, all on board with his line blessing all the nations. But he struggled with God's timing and how God was going to do it. So let's look at Genesis. It says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you. And I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran, and Abram took Sarai, his wife. Okay, so he got up and did it. At 75 years old. (laughs) And God said to Abram, you're going to have a nation, and to be a great nation assumes many children, many descendants. And, and God even told him to look up at the sky, and if he could even count the stars, that's, that's how many descendants he was going to have. And so he was on board with this. And so here we go. Um, they didn't have pictures back then, so this is Abraham and Sarah. Happy as any couple could be following the will of God. But things were not going as planned. Days turned into weeks, weeks into months, months into years, and there's no child being born. And the anxiety in Abraham and Sarah were increasing. They left everything after all to do this. Why isn't God doing this? What's taking so long? Tick-tock, tick-tock, God. And so what do they decide to do? Well, in this culture, what you could do is you could give your female servant, your maid servant, to Abraham and have a descendant through them. And so Sarah looks over at her, her maid servant Hagar and says, Hey, sweet, sweet pea, you can be with Hagar and have a child with her. And of course, Abraham says, Right now, sounds good. And so Sarah gives Hagar to Abraham. And it says in, the, in Scripture that um, after this meeting, it says, the angel of the Lord said to her, this is Hagar, behold, you are pregnant and shall bear a son. This, these words should sound familiar coming out of Christmas. And you shall call his name Ishmael because the Lord has listened to your affliction. So they end up having a child. And this seems all well and good on the surface. Because after all, he's going to have a child. He's finally going to have a baby, right? And uh, it seems reasonably good that this is going to happen. And so here they are with little Ishmael. But what they fail to realize and understand and grasp fully is what we also sometimes fail to realize and understand and grasp fully. And that is the choices that we make, the decisions, the direction that we go, the things that we lean into have a ripple effect, have a 
um, have a concussion of results because of it. It impacts things to the third and fourth generation. It impacts things spiritually that you can't see. And, and we don't fully understand or appreciate what it looks like when we make decisions spiritually all the time. We have the tendency to think that whatever I do will affect me, and as long as it doesn't, quote, hurt anyone else, then it's okay. But this assumes that you know what you decide to do does not hurt anyone else. And you can't always know that. You just can't. And we, we know this from, from like modern research too, like decisions your parents make, decisions your grandparents make and their parents and so on and so forth. It, it determines largely where you live, how successful you are, your socioeconomic status, how you deal with stress and anxiety and so on and so forth. Like the sins of your father do extend to the third and fourth generation. These things ripple out. There's consequences. So they're not trusting in God. Abraham takes Hagar, and they give birth to Ishmael. And it seemed reasonable, because after all, isn't it helping achieve the will of God? Which is to have many children and become a great nation. Check. But there's a consequence. Ishmael's born, and the angel also says to Hagar that he shall be a wild donkey of a man, and his hand will be against everyone, and everyone's hand against him, and he shall dwell over and against his kinsmen. That is, yay, you have a son, and he's going to be a donkey. It's going to be difficult. There's going to be tension, and there's going to be conflict. And we see this, we see this pan out really early, right? Because guess what happens, of course, like after, you know, Sarah finally relaxes and God shows up and, and fulfills his promise that Sarah is going to give birth to a child. Sarah does. She becomes pre- pregnant and she gives birth to Isaac. And, and, but all leading up to this, of course, she's looking at Abraham She's looking at these other kids and these other women, and, and, you know, Sarah's not, like, happy about this. I don't know what's going on mentally, but she has to feel sort of on the edge, inadequate, on the outside, on the periphery. Where is God showing up in her life? Why isn't she being blessed? And why is Abraham doing this too? Like, and when she does finally have a child... If you have multiple kids in your house or you grew up with siblings, like, you know, like, you know, do siblings live in peace and harmony? No. And so a situation happens very quickly where, where Ishmael and Isaac don't seem to be getting along. And, and how do you think Mama Sarah feels about that, that her maidservant's child is picking on her son? Do you think she's like, oh, the kids these days? Now, Mama Bear comes out. She wants them gone. And so there's this conflict between these two parts of this interesting family. 
And Abraham, I mean, what is he supposed to do? I mean, Ishmael is his son too. It's, it's the first, his first son through his maidservant. Isn't he going to be a great nation as well? Even though he's a donkey of a man, isn't he too going to be a great nation? Is he not? Is he, is he part of the fulfillment of God's will? Like, what's going on here? And so God helps resolve this a little bit. He comes to Abraham, and God says to Abraham, Be not displeased because of the boy and because of your slave woman, that's Ishmael. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you, for through Isaac shall your offspring be named. Okay. And I will, he reaffirms his promise, make a nation of the son of the slave woman also, because he too is your offspring. And so it says, so Abraham rose early in the morning, took bread and the skin of water, and gave it to Hagar, and put it on her shoulder along with the child, and sent her away. And she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Besherba. So he kicks her to the curb. And so out wandering in the wilderness is Hagar and Ishmael, and, and Scripture kind of departs from them for a season, but you'll see like little references here and there, and you begin to see the ripple effect of this. Um, a little bit later in Genesis, says, these are the years of the life of Ishmael. He lived 137 years, then he breathed his last, and he died, and he was gathered to his people. And it says, and they settled from Havilah to Shur, which is opposite Egypt, in the direction of Assyria, and he settled over and against all of his kinsmen. So again, just to reiterate, at the end of his life, Scripture reiterates uh, a couple things. First, where they settle, they settle from Havilah to Shear, and once again, he's over and against all of his kinsmen. There's tension because of this decision. Now, I don't really know where Havilah and Shear are exactly, but here's a map. I'm in the blue is Canaan. This is where um, Isaac and the children of Israel come to be, take up residence. And then there's some potential places where Havilah might be. Um, but the middle red circle, one of the locations, is particularly interesting uh, just because of history. Um, it's uh, where Mecca ends up being. And so we kind of biblically sort of, as you sort of trace things, we kind of assume or kind of come to the conclusion here that um, Isaac is the, becomes the father of Judaism and Christianity because through him and his family line, we get to Christ. And through Ishmael, uh, we get to Islam. And it's like, wow. <laughs> Abraham was on board with the will of God, but not on board with How? we were going to get to the will of God. And there was a ripple effect because of that lack of trust and following. And this is what's hard for us because I, I, do, I do believe that uh, many times um, we can find ourselves in the same position. It's not that we're against what God offers us. We're just against doing it the way God wants us to. We're against his timing. We, we're impatient. It's not easy enough. We're not willing to bear our cross, maybe, a little bit. We want it to be different. We want our plot to look different. And so in the, in the process of pursuing Jesus or, or pursuing the will of God, we actually end up making it harder on ourselves. We, we make it so difficult. Like, and if you have kids, you'll understand this, like, I, I think about this, like I have flashbacks sometimes to when I was a kid, right? Your parents will say things like, you know, it'd just be easier if you just, if you just did what we told you to. Like if I said clean your room, you just cleaned your rooms. Like you would ha we'd have all this free time. 
We would get to play, you would get to watch TV, play video games, whatever, if, we just, if you just didn't fight all the time. Like, then there wouldn't be trouble, there wouldn't be drama, and then we'd like move on. And, and of course, like, how many kids, when you tell them that, go, oh, you're right. I'll do whatever you say, mama, papa. No. I mean, they agree with your idea that, oh, wouldn't it be great if we had more free time to play and things were peaceful? But they don't agree with how to get there. That's how it is with us, with God. Like, we, we, we just want to do it our way. And there's consequence. And so what ends up happening sometimes is not only do we make decisions that have consequence that we can't even see, like we don't fully understand or appreciate, but also sometimes we just, we, we get tired of waiting on God and we end up sort of assuming his role. And so we get decision fatigue because what we end up doing is in, in the pursuit of faithfulness or in the pursuit of trying to do what God's wanting us to do, at times we, we, uh, we just keep pushing. We've got to do better. We've got to try harder. We've got to look right. We've got to behave right. We've got to do all the right things. And, and we keep going and going and going and we're pursuing the will of God or at least we, are, we think we're pursuing the will of God, but all along the way we never stop and actually pray to God. We never... Uh, connect with God. We just, we keep pushing through. Like, tomorrow's a new day. We just got to get through tonight, and then maybe tomorrow he'll show up in a way, and finally things will be fulfilled, and I'll feel good, and things will be good. And in the process, we just ignore him. Because after all, we're still pursuing the right thing, right? I guess it's an invitation to pay attention to not just the end, but the means. And it's just so easy to get in this because it feels like control. But you're out of control. And you don't realize how out of control you are until it finally breaks down. I call it the the blessed breakdown. It's when the wheels finally come off and when you think you've been doing everything you possibly can and you realize it's still not good enough. It's when you, you, you keep pushing and pushing and fighting and struggling and, and trying to work your way through certain things and you, and you come to the end of yourself and you realize that there's got to be something more. And guess, guess what it is? It's God in Christ. But see, we're like Ishmael. We're all donkeys. And sometimes we don't see it until we get to this point. And this is why Jesus says in the Sermon of the Mount, you know, blessed are the poor in spirit, or blessed are those who mourn. These people are blessed because uh, they've broken down. They've stopped trying to be and do God. And they've finally gotten to a point where they say, what next? With open hands. They finally come to the end of themselves. And they let go and let God be God, not only for the end, but for the means. 
And this is what it means to bear our cross. Because honestly, most of us, because of how we're wired in our own brokenness, like we do do it the hard way. And that is not, not that God's love is ever removed from us, it's just we don't come to it until we've been like pinched a little. And so we do. We come to know Christ more. This is why most of us come to know Christ more. More people grow in their faith. More people move close to God. Not when things are going well. Not when they feel like they're in control. But when they finally realize they have nothing that they're in control of. And there's nothing they can do. This is why people come to know Christ in suffering and it's honestly why we see Christ in his suffering on the cross. Because it's in that moment, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me and into your hands I commend my spirit that we are speaking the same words as Jesus. Things aren't great Sometimes you feel far, but into your hands I give it all. I let go and let God. This is what faith is like. It feels like a free fall of trust, and you believe that even though you're unsure of what's next, you are sure that you have a loving Father. God. And so discipleship is about opening your hands up, letting go, trusting in not just the dream of our Heavenly Father and His will, but in the day-to-day just moving with him. And as we move with him, he's there with us to forgive us, to renew us, to restore us, to assure us, to to bring people into our lives, to, to help us carry our burdens as we go. But we just go. We hear his voice. And we follow. And so we look to Jesus, we look to the cross, and we let go. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.